Welcome to the documentary from the BBC World Service, where we report the world, however difficult the issue, however hard to reach. Podcasts from the BBC World Service are supported by advertising. In 1969, a plan to show support for an anti-racism protest turned the lives of 14 promising black student-athletes upside down. Amazing Sports Stories from the BBC World Service tells their story. Search for Amazing Sports Stories wherever you get your BBC podcasts. This is the sound of land art being created. And this is the sound of it being washed away. Hello and welcome to the documentary in the studio from the BBC World Service. The programme that goes inside the world's most creative minds as they make new work and share it with the world. I'm Dulta Hare, and in this episode, we're not in the studio, but on the beach, examining the world of land art, where nature itself becomes a canvas for creativity. I'm John Foreman, and I'm a land artist, and I create work in natural spaces with natural materials like stones, leaves, driftwood, or sand. With these simple yet profound elements, he weaves intricate patterns and designs directly onto the landscape. These earthworks feature hypnotic compositions that organise stone and sand with an all-encompassing sense of structure, balance and beauty. My work is very short-lived and will eventually be reclaimed by the elements, whether that's the wind or the tide. John's work may last as little as ten minutes before the sea washes it away, but his philosophy is to appreciate an artwork's beauty during its brief existence. Beyond visual aesthetics, John's art is a tactile and sensory experience. These images evoke a sense of wonder, and resonate in the imagination long after you've seen them. The landscape is a huge source of inspiration for my work because I can respond to it. Nature makes me feel free, and my studio is the beach. I'd like to think that people realise that I'm working alongside nature, which is a message in itself. We should be looking after the planet rather than just using it for what we supposedly need. John's work is also a therapy for him, an escape from the stresses of everyday life. Each work begins with a ritualistic walk to the beach, an integral part of the creative process. I've arranged to meet John on the Pembrokeshire Coastal Path, a winding trail that offers breathtaking views of the Welsh coastline. In this episode of In the Studio, we'll accompany John as he makes a new piece of work surrounded by the tranquil sands of this remote beach. But beware, as I was soon to learn, the journey down there is not straightforward. So John, what's the name of the beach we're going to? Lindsway Bay. 
Linsway Bay, and this is one of your favourite spots to make work, is that right? Yeah, this is actually my favourite. It's, uh, it's a lot quieter than um, a lot of the other beaches because there's a bit of a walk down and the steps are a bit lethal. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, a lot of people avoid it. Well, you, didn't, you mentioned lethal, you didn't tell me that when we were <laughs> talking yeah, last Yeah, well, night. you're on your way now, no? It's too late. <laughs> too late to turn back. The journey down is always just pleasant, and that's quite a nice thing about this as well, although the steps are a bit lethal. This part where you're looking down the cliffs and... Oh, wow. We I always stop and have a quick look over the edge just to see where the tide is at. Oh, this is extraordinary. So we've just left the park, even though you can hear the tractor in the background, and it is absolutely stunning. So is this Lindsay Bay, or...? We walk along. OK. The closer we get to Lindsay Bay, the more spectacular the scenery becomes. I can smell and taste the sea air now. I can hear the seagulls gliding effortlessly overhead. And the coastline is dotted with dramatic cliffs, full of jagged edges. And it contrasts sharply with the smooth curves of the sandy beaches below. I can see a few boats dotted on the horizon, and the sea bends and swerves out to deeper water. My first impression is, what an incredible location to make work. This, is, this beach is perfect for me for everything. It's got massive beach floor drawing on. The stone colours are really nice. There's really large stones, so if I want to work with scale, like just scale and not colour, then I can work there. And yeah, it just offers so much. It's your own private piece of paradise, isn't it, really? That's what it feels like, especially this time in the morning. So it's the ultimate playground for a land artist, really? Yeah, it's just getting down there and getting back up. <laughs> We're now at the, the top of the cliff, and there's a warning sign here telling us that there's steep steps with sheer, unprotected drops. So I think this is the, the lethal part. And I probably should have mentioned this, John, but I've got a fear of heights. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> so I think I can manage this. I was going to say, if I close my eyes, but that's probably not a very good idea either. Just only look at the steps. <laughs> Don't look down, just look at the steps. Are the things we do to bring you documentaries on the World Service? <laughs> Okay, so we're descending the path now. This step's so big that people have made a dirt step to, to climb it. I try to take John's advice, but it's hard not to think about the sheer drop from the cliff just a few steps away. I can feel my heart racing. I just inch my way down the cliff, painfully slowly, while trying to maintain some dignity. We're not crazy far. <laughs> Four more steps. After what feels like an eternity, I'm quite relieved when I eventually set foot on the sand. The soothing sands of the beach come into sharper focus. Well done. I can see now why not many people come down here when you perhaps have more accessible beaches around. Yeah, sometimes people come by boat to this beach, so uh, I think I'll do that next time. <laughs> <laughs> Might be easier. <laughs> yeah.
my knees are still trembling. We've safely made it down to the beach, but John still has no idea what he's going to create. I'm curious to find out how he starts his work and where his ideas come from. So we're on the beach now and you still don't fully know what you're going to do. What's the first step? Do you just feel your way through it? I I look at the space a lot and try and work out where I want to do it. I will be doing that. Um, I see you're doing that now. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I'm just observing John and he seems really immersed in the moment. John's work is not defined by meticulous planning. Very often when he arrives at a location, he simply allows the environment itself to to guide his creative instincts. So there's a certain authenticity, uh, a rawness to his work that comes from this unscripted interaction with nature. But he's been doing this now for about 15 minutes. And uh, he's just looked over at me now, so I think he might have generated an idea let's go and find out I've got a plan you've got a plan so take me through the decisions that you're making right now so I'm going to start with a centre point and then I'm gathering tiny stones of one colour the purple colour start with small stones working my way out from three lines and then it'll become a triple spiral. So I've just um, put down some lines, just drawn really faint lines with my finger to uh, give myself a bit of a guide as to where the stones are going. The lines will get covered by the stones anyway, so they won't even be visible. And how do you know the lines are the exact length, is it? I don't. (laughs) I don't know. I'll find out when I get there. I'm glad to hear it's not a clinical measurement. Oh, no. A little bit like nature is not like that. Exactly, yeah. When I'm drawing those lines, it's kind of like you use the full extension of your arm and then the arc can't really be inconsistent. I might have to pivot my body a little bit. You're squatting down and just using the length of your arm at, at full extension. Yeah, So I just placed the first stone. I think that's going to go right in the middle. I'm going to need a lot more small stones. So we now have three spiralling arcs starting from the centre point, working their way outwards, gradually getting larger in size. The stones, which only ten minutes ago were lifeless and scattered, begin to form a harmonious pattern under John's skilled hands. Every stone, every curve, every nuance is essential to the work. And each moment counts, because time is now ticking. John, I see you're bringing out um, a very sophisticated piece of equipment, which is uh, two sticks and some string. Yeah. So Are they driftwood as well? Yeah, yeah. They're all from the beach. But I've, you know, It might not be this beach, but the beaches I've been to. And I use this for sand drawing a lot because it's good way to make perfect circles so you put the stick in the other stick is just holding the string 
um, that I've, I've just wound the string around it. I've got a loop on the end, so I put the loop around the, uh, the stick that I've put in the center. I'll unravel it, bring it to where the, the edge of the lines that I've drawn are. So this is the most important one because it's the closest to a, to a permanent stone that's in the environment already. So there we are, got the circle, it's perhaps a bit bigger than I intended it to be but hopefully it'll be alright, might be a bit of a mad rush towards the end. John's finished sketch is now etched into the sand. We have three spiralling arcs and surrounding that is a perfectly drawn circle. In a very short space we've gone from ambiguity to clarity. We've gone from having no plan and no idea to having something which now has form and great potential. What is it about stone that appeals to you? Well, there's so many options. The sand drawings, you can't really do things that are three-dimensional. You can make things appear three-dimensional. Ultimately, they are flat. You can work on a really large scale, but you also can't work with colour so it, you can only work with shades. So the stones offer more potential to me. Even though stone is like the hardest material, it's still sculptable when you use enough of the, that object, you can create form. So it might not be malleable, but it is if you use enough of it. And is there something about the physical aspect of the stone? Was that something that you, yeah. you enjoyed? Yeah, definitely, and the sound. So when I gather them, and when I put them down, when I've gathered a few, you know, you get this sound. And it's like, I guess it kind of reminds me of childhood and having marbles. The chink sound is just really nice. Something extra therapeutic about that touch and the sound of it. A few hours have now passed, and it's 2.30 in the afternoon. John is now placing each stone with care on top of his earlier sketch. But the work is really progressing quickly now, and John is sourcing the right size and shapes of these purple stones from the back of the beach with absolute precision. And do you take a break for lunch then? Sometimes, if I feel like I've got enough time. (laughs) (laughs) I have got food with me, but whether I'll stop is another thing. But sometimes I don't just because I'm sort of in, in the place, you know what I mean, in the zone. So I just don't eat until I've done everything. The one thing I didn't fully appreciate until now was how much hard work this actually is. It's a really physically demanding process and John hasn't taken a break in hours. He's completely immersed in the work. It's a little bit like watching a long-distance runner. I don't mean this in a, in a weird way, but are you aware of what time it is? I don't actually know, to be honest. I have no idea. It's easy to lose yourself in the process. The, the sounds that we're hearing, I mean, I'm sure I can describe it better, but it sounds like one of those meditation CDs. Listening to this for four, six, eight hours, even subconsciously, helps you just relax a little bit. Do you, do you feel that? I think to a certain extent it, it can be 
too relaxing, but um, I often put music in when I start to sort of feel my feet driving, you know. And what, what's, your, what's your go-to choice of, of music? Death metal. De- death yeah. metal. <laughs> so describe the music to me. I'm in a band called Plague Father. We are a mixture of death metal, death core, doom, black metal. It's quite a death uh, sort of metal soup. Yeah. This is the band, actually, you're a lead singer in? Yeah. So one of the lyrics from this song is, I carve myself a place of salvation before now starved of this freedom to sculpt my own world away from the ways of humanity. Obviously, it's over-dramatised for effect, but... (laughs) My social media name is Sculpt the World, so to sculpt my own world is the key quote there, isn't it? Two very different worlds colliding. No need to adjust your set. Let me remind you that you're listening to In the Studio from the BBC World Service and we are on the beach in Pembrokeshire, West Wales. We are with land artist John Foreman as his latest sculpture evolves. It's going to be one of the most surprising things to hear that while doing these, in many ways, calming artworks between your ears is this you know really intense music it's not an obvious thing to do <laughs> that's for sure who were the black 14 14 football players who were at university of wyoming in 1969 14 student athletes who paid a heavy price for planning a show of support against racism it hit the campus like wildfire. Some of them was getting death threats. Amazing sports stories from the BBC World Service tells their story. It was a complete surprise that he kicked us off the team. What are we going to do with our lives? How are we going to get our degrees? Search for Amazing Sports Stories wherever you get your BBC podcasts. John's latest sculpture is a striking composition. A large stone circle, approximately 10 feet in diameter, adorned with three intricately designed spirals. Beaches vary widely when you think about colour. Some beaches are almost monochrome. This beach is technicolour. The dominant stone colours in front of us are pale blue, lemon yellow and a kind of deep russet red. But if you look really closely, you can discover the quiet presence of purple. And because he's now taking this colour and amplifying it in his work, it alters the way that you view the landscape. It's a slightly weird experience. And so, through his work, it's heightened my sense of awareness of what's around me. It occurs to me that the, the, the environment, in terms of the tide, you've got a limited amount of time... You've got a limited amount of space. You've got a limited amount of resources, even though each are, in their own right, are quite vast. But actually, as an artist, that egg timer on your work is, is actually a bit of a blessing in a way because you've, you've sort of got to complete something within a set period of time. You can't really procrastinate 
Because if you do, you leave with nothing. So is, there, is that, that pressure a little bit, in a way, a good thing? Yeah, I would say so. It's definitely a good thing sometimes because, like in the past, I get... I've been a bit, like, over-ambitious in the time span you've got. You're just putting too much strain on yourself. You'll get to a certain point. The tide's getting closer and you've, you've got, like, what should be an hour or two, two's work to try and do within 20 minutes, you know, and it's too much stress, too much strain on your back to be, like, bending over picking rocks at a pace that you just shouldn't be doing, you know. And then it's not therapeutic and it's not... It's, it becomes something else. So do you think we're on track, time-wise? I would say I must be a little bit behind. You know, now it's more about just finding lots of stones that are relatively small and blue or purple, and they'll just be dotted, and it'll just make it look like it's really moving. That's, that's the whole point now. It's just making the motion. Are you happy with the work at the moment? Yeah, I think so, it's okay. going to be cool. It's it's a lot wider than I meant it to be originally. It's a lot bigger, really. I'm really struggling to work out how far to fade the stones from the edges because that's the space between is looking really blank and it's bothering me. <laughs> that sound you can hear behind me is the incoming tide, relentless and unstoppable, and it now threatens to erase John's work before it's even complete. We are now listening to the artist's race against nature's clock. And how long do you think before this, the tide will come in? Because you've also got to send up a drone as well and, and photograph it that way. Yeah, not long. That's a concern. I should probably get out very soon. Land art has evolved because of social media. John has nearly a million followers across his accounts. And this next step of the process is vital. Not least because in a matter of minutes, the artwork will be reclaimed by the sea. So we've gone from using a stick at the start, <laughs> from the ancient equipment to the more modern. You've now whipped out a, a drone yeah. and uh, it's all gone very high-tech very quickly. So that's the sound of the drone being powered on. I think we're quite close to being cut off by the sea. And that buzzing sound you can hear getting closer and closer now is the drone. Coming very close to the artwork now. The sea now is beginning to creep up quite quickly. So we've just been cut off by the tide from the main part of the beach. If we stay here for much longer, we'll be swimming, and that could end up being quite dangerous. I'll do. So, what kind of shots did you get there? Uh, I got shots with me in to show how big it is. I got some videos. To be honest, often I don't bother with the drone and I use a uh, tripod to get those shots with me in. But um, it is good to get that bird's eye view shot. And how does that make you feel when the wave comes in and meets your artwork? Um, I just find it exciting. You know, that's like the last moment that it exists, you know. It's nice to try and capture it. The drone descends and John has what he needs. However, 
there is hardly any time at all to sit back and enjoy it. The sea is just a few feet away now. In a very short period, we're going from bliss to mild panic. When do you think we need to go then? In the next sort of two or three minutes, probably. <laughs> really? Okay. Uh, videos. That's what I was going to do. Definitely have time. So after nearly six hours on the beach, the tide is coming ever closer, and now it's just a couple of feet away from John's work. It's close. This is your favourite moment, really, isn't it? I, mean, I can it see is, why. Usually, I'm a bit stressed. And any moment now, the first wave is going to hit. Here it comes, here it comes. Whoa. And just like that, the artwork begins to crumble. It's all beginning to break apart now, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, it really has gone, the first part. Okay, how do you feel? Good, really good. Maybe we should move. <laughs> yeah, we better get up before it gets too deep, right? Might be a bit of climbing involved. <laughs> Are you joking? Well, otherwise you're going to be up to you. You're going to be quite deep. It won't be long before we are completely cut off by the tide. It could get quite dangerous, and we don't fancy an impromptu swim. It's time to run. Okay. <laughs> Feels dodgy, yeah. doesn't it? A bit of a panic at the end. <laughs> right, it might be best if I go down and then you hand me stuff. We wade through water and climb over a large rock to reconnect with the main beach. The artwork is now completely submerged and all that's left are the photographs. Well done. <laughs> that was close, isn't it? I didn't expect how quickly. I mean, oh, yeah. it just it just gets on top of you, doesn't it? Oh man, that was brilliant. I just can't I can't get over how it went from being sort of there just to gone. Yeah. Um, but it was fast. It was so weird. Yesterday it felt really slow. Yeah. I think there must be a bit of a slope in the sand where there's a bit of downhill. So, John, how do you feel now? That, I mean, the artwork is gone, and it exists only in documents. I feel great. I, it, I don't feel any sense of loss, that's for sure. It would feel wrong to take them home, uh, even if I could, you know. Obviously, I can't. That would be a bit mad, but... Um, the stones belong here, so... And the, the nice thing is, is that it's gone, and then the next time, I can come and make something new. It's, it's like a clean slate every time. Looking at land art provides a unique opportunity to connect with nature and art simultaneously. What makes this art truly remarkable is its setting. A pristine beach rather than a sterile, white-walled gallery. His stone formations aren't meant to stand the test of time. Instead, they are part of the ebb and flow of Linsway Bay's natural rhythm, a rhythm that you can hear behind me. In this uncontrived setting, you can truly appreciate the ephemeral nature of John's art. 
as the tides come and go, as the wind shapes and reshapes the sand, his sculptures become just a fleeting moment and a testament to the interplay of human creativity and the earth's beauty. You've been listening to In the Studio from the BBC World Service. It was produced and presented by me, Dulta Hare. Who were the Black 14? 14 football players who were at the University of Wyoming in 1969. 14 student athletes who paid a heavy price for planning a show of support against racism. It hit the campus like wildfire. Some of them was getting death threats. Amazing sports stories from the BBC World Service tells their story. It was a complete surprise that he kicked us off the team. What are we going to do with our lives? How are we going to get our degrees? Search for Amazing Sports Stories wherever you get your BBC podcasts.